When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it's certainly been a busy and hectic start to the Seahawks offseason with head coaching changes, coaching staff moves, player moves and news. It's different. It's a whole different flavor this offseason, right? Well, now we get a chance to kind of take a deep breath, step back and take a wider view as we head into the rest of the offseason. Combine coming up soon. Free agency, the draft. How's the roster going to take shape? How are they going to manage the salary cap? Is the quarterback situation as finalized as we think it is as we sit here today? Who better to bring on the show and talk about the 360-degree view of the Seahawks than the managing editor of the outstanding website, fieldgoals.com, Mookie Alexander, is joining me today to talk Seahawks. What else on Seahawks Forever? Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Got to interact last night with some of the Seahawks brass at a charity event. Uh, Got some cool insight, um, most of which I won't share with you. Also got a couple of really nice bottles of bourbon. You can see one on the back there if you're watching on YouTube right there. That is the uh, limited edition throwback Maker's Mark bottle from last year. Got a couple autographs on there as well. Uh, And then one of the guests who uh, bought a place at the auction gave me a bottle of his specialty Maker's Mark bourbon um, where John and Tracy Schneider had gone back to the distillery in Kentucky and chosen the stave combination to add to that barrel to affect the flavor. Um, here's the dilemma though. Do I leave it capped forever? Or do I drink it? <laughs> I'll make that decision when the time comes. Uh, thank you for joining me on the show. I am Dan Vienz. You can follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, the bell button for notification of new episodes. And if you listen on audio podcasts and that's what you prefer, uh, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. On Spotify, you can subscribe. You can literally subscribe for a very low monthly fee. And then you get to listen to episodes that are exclusive just to you that don't have any ads in them. And if you want to support me, as a few of you did yesterday, really appreciate it. You can buy me a coffee or a beer. Those links will be in the description. Excited about this. Everything has been so hyper-focused the last, oh, four to six weeks. I guess it is. Time flies, right? When you're having a good time. Uh, so hyper-focused on specific minutiae and, and specific news items, obviously. The head coaching search and then the offensive coordinator search took, took center stage. And then yesterday it was the Geno Smith news and the introduction of the coordinators. I uh, got to meet Jay Harbaugh yesterday as well, uh, as well as... Uh, some guy named Mike McDonald, head coach of the Seahawks, who uh, looks even younger in person, I will say. But um, uh, I'll just say this. He's extremely appreciative of being here, and he's taking it all in. And it, it's a much different aura than Coach Carroll. Very fresh, 
and uh, really looking forward to seeing what this what this staff can do. And the staff continues to fill out. Kennedy Palamalu hired today as running backs coach a long time, really balancing out what we're seeing now on that coaching staff. Some young, fresh, green faces, some new to the NFL altogether. But Palomalu has been around 60 years old, 30-plus years in the NFL coaching running backs. His last two stops, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Minnesota Vikings, Coach Dalvin Cook and Josh Jacobs. Corbin Smith tweeted out today that he's one of the best running back coaches in the business. He had gone to a coaching clinic with him before and was really impressed back when Corbin was coaching running backs, had a big impact on him. Uh, So they continue to look for a veteran presence in some of those spots. The staff not completely filled out, but is headed that way. I think 10 coaches are in place. All right, but let's get to it. My special guest today, uh, Mookie and I uh, go back a ways. In fact, I give him a lot of credit for where this show sits today because uh, he allowed me to take over the Field Goals podcast. Uh, when Brandon Schultz stepped aside a couple of years ago, Brandon recommended me. Mookie gave me the gig along with Dana O'Gorman. And... Uh, I got to do that for one year before SB Nation decided to shutter their entire podcast division on all their websites. Um, But it gave me uh, the opportunity to take this platform and rebrand it into my own podcast. Um, And here we are today, uh, growing at a record pace. Thank you to all who have subscribed and listened and watched and continue to as we head forward. So much to talk about over the next couple of months. We're going to touch on a lot of those topics today. Let's get into my conversation with Mookie. Welcome back to the show, Mookie Alexander. It has been a minute, as we were just discussing, the managing editor of Field Goals, my longtime favorite Seahawks website. How are you, man? I'm doing all right, Dan. In fact, the last time I was on your podcast, uh, it was the final playoff game of the Pete Carroll era. And now we're hoping for the first playoff game of the Mike McDonald era pretty soon. Indeed. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into some stuff. I'm looking forward to talking to you, as I always would be, but because... This offseason, ever since the, the news broke, since Pete was removed from his post, it's been very specialized. It's been, it was the head coaching search, and then it was the offensive coordinator search. We get to kind of take a deep breath now and look at the big picture a little bit. And uh, it's one of the things I want to explore with you today. For, first of all, let me ask you this, because I know what it's been like for me at, you know, in comparison to other off seasons in which I've done this. Um, 14 years of the same kind of messaging, the same thing in the off season. Now it's all new. What's the traffic been like on your website? The traffic has been I five rush hour times 50 <laughs> as a result of all of the, the, the head coaching searches, the, the speculation about the roster. I mean, of course this was expected because you end up with, with Pete Carroll leaving and we, we didn't totally expect it at the time, but I think yeah. there was, the clear hints when Ian Rappaport said that Seahawks management was going to meet with Carroll at the end of the season. I think that was a hint there because at the time, I think most of us were going, including me, oh, Pete's not getting fired. He's got two more years left on his contract. They're going to let him see out at least next season. And then we find out that that second year of his contract is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. We go, oh, if they want to let him go, then it's only one year's salary that they got to pay. So that, that kind of lessened the blow as far as, as him being let go, but it's still watching it happen, it just takes you off guard. And then watching the emotional uh, press conference afterward, like, wow, this is somebody who's been the coach of my favorite football team for half my life. And now we're entering this, this great new unknown. But I think maybe for the sake of this, that this fan base, that's finding something different that could be better. It could be worse. Absolutely. That, that you could say that for everything, but something that could be even better return to the level of greatness that we had under uh, Pete Carroll several years back. I, I mean, 
the allure of the new and the allure of the unknown is what drives fan bases. And it, it provides a level of optimism that probably probably would not have been there if Carroll had gotten another year. Because they, especially with the defensive side of the ball, yeah, there wasn't a lot to think, wow, this team is just so close to having a good defense again when the results were getting exceedingly worse. So now you hire a head coach who ended up turning a, a bad Ravens defense, and you don't say that very often. Right. Back to being one of the best. Um, again, no guarantee that it's going to happen. It's not going to necessarily be an overnight fix, but based on what we have seen with his work in Baltimore and even his one year at the University of Michigan, um, there's a lot to like about Mike McDonald and the way he carries himself. And I know actions speak louder than words, but I'm impressed by his words. Yeah, and his demeanor and and other people's words too. You cannot find anyone who has who has a negative thing to say about this guy. And, and not just that, it's it's the way people rave about him and his mind and the way he thinks and the way he communicates. I was I was really intrigued yesterday uh, listening to Schneider's radio uh, spot with uh, with Bob Shelton and Dave Wyman, and they asked him when when did Mike McDonald get you know come on your radar? And he said it was the year that he went to Michigan. That was when he first kind of his his ears perked up, and he said, "Who's this guy that's you know going from linebackers coach with the Ravens going to work for Jim Harbaugh?" It's a fascinating dynamic. I'm glad you touched on it because. I've been telling people this for years that in regards to the quarterback situation, in regards to the head coaching situation, there's been a segment of the fan base. I'm sure they're very vocal on your website that have wanted Pete out for years. Mm-hmm. And to which I would usually say, be careful what you wish for, because look how many of these hot shot can't miss up and coming hot name coaches get hired over the last three, four years who are now out of work or at least out of the head coaching business. But now that it's reality and it's taken a while to sink in, well, you're forced to confront, you know, the opportunity for change. And it, and it can be very exciting because it's different. And that's why people are so hungry for information and, and why I knew that was going to be your answer with the website, because I've seen it here as well. What Now to this point, the, the coaching staff isn't fully filled out and you guys have a great tracker on your website. I think it was just updated today with the hire of Kennedy Palomalu as running backs coach, longtime veteran, outstanding running backs coach who most recently has coached Josh Jacobs and Dalvin Cook. Uh, with the Vikings and the Raiders, uh, your overall impressions of how they're constructing the staff so far? So far, so good. I, I am intrigued by the number of assistants that they have hired who come from primarily college backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Because Jay Harbaugh, a good chunk of his time has been with his dad at Michigan, and I think he did some grad assistant stuff elsewhere. Now, he has NFL experience. He was with Mike McDonald in Baltimore for a brief period of time. But then you also have... Um, uh, Ryan Grubb, who has zero days of NFL experience, yeah. and now he's the the offensive coordinator. Um, they just hired um, wide receivers coach uh, Frisman Jackson, I believe, and he, again, comes from primarily a college background. Uh, they're looking at they, they haven't hired a quarterbacks coach yet, but right. uh, the person that they've just interviewed again primarily works at a college level. So it, it, it's it, again that's the the, the part where. Things feel different when you have new faces and new ideas and not necessarily people with tons of NFL experience um, on, on the coaching staff. But you do have those mix of veterans. So having Leslie Frazier on the staff as an assistant head coach, somebody with head coaching experience who on the defensive side of the ball has produced really good results in Buffalo. It's just that, unfortunately, he's in a conference. He was in a conference with Patrick Mahomes and he just breaks defenses. Uh, so you have him as an experienced assistant head coach and then you have the hiring of Kennedy Palomalu as a well-respected veteran running backs coach. Yeah. So, and then now you have uh, Adam Dirty. Now, now that I found out that his um, his first name rhymes with Madden, 
right. first time defensive coordinator, but you have a little, the, the Dan Quinn connection is there. And based on what we've seen in Dallas, and I know they got ripped apart in the playoffs, but their defensive line has been pretty good mm-hmm. for as long as he's been the, the, the D line coach. And McDonald and Dirty didn't have any sort of known prior relationship. In fact, I think McDonald or, or Dirty maybe might have said it, but their vision seems to be aligned as far as how they view football and how they view defense. So it, it looks like a cohesive staff. It should be what I'm hoping for for this year's team, regardless of the wins and losses, is that this looks like a well-coached team. Because my biggest criticism of last year's team is that we know that Pete Carroll is a very good coach and that he has hired some really good assistants over the years. That was one of the worst coached or worst looking coach teams I'd seen in a long time under Pete Carroll. So if there is some level of competence where we know that the problem is really that there's a talent deficit more as opposed to be just being poorly coached, I think we can work with that as longer term optimism with with McDonald and the rest of the staff. It was interesting. Uh, John addressed that yesterday as well and and likened it to the draft process. And it, because this is this is really one of the this was one of the concerning things about waiting so long to get your guy in waiting to get McDonald until he was available and they, and they were prepared to wait even longer if they had gone to the Super Bowl. is a lot of these guys get hired and, and all the other spots that have been filled by new head coaches, at least six of the eight anyway, before McDonald was hired, those guys have, have a head start hiring some of these, these in-demand assistants. And John likened it to the draft in that he had a board and he said, as soon as McDonald came to town and uh, the morning he was hired, even before the press conference the next day, he said, as soon as all that was done uh, and he accepted the offer, they went into Schneider's office, spent two and a half hours on a whiteboard, basically going over coaching candidates. And Mike had his ideas and John had guys he had already been talking to um, because this isn't, an old school situation where you hire a coach and here he goes, he brings all his staff with him. In fact, uh, remarkably, I think not a single coach has come over from the Baltimore Ravens staff. And that's really unusual. It's as if they're treating it like the draft, just trying to find the best guys available and then putting them all in a room together and hoping they can figure out how to work together. Yeah, that that is a very good point because think of how many Ravens assistants have already left, mm-hmm. but to other teams. The Dolphins had Anthony Weaver as, as their defensive coordinator. I think Denard Wilson is Tennessee's defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. He's there in some other role. So they have lost a lot of people over this offseason, and yet none of them came to Seattle. Whereas the closest we have seen to bringing somebody over who's worked with that that person at another level is, is of course, Ryan Grubb getting to bring Scott Huff over right. uh, as the offensive line coach. And I think that is really important because one thing that we've seen with Ryan Grubb and at, at the University of Washington is that offensive line is, is super impressive. And Huff even precedes Grubb there on the coaching yeah, staff. He, yeah, he seven years. When Kalen DeBoer got hired. So uh, other than that, we're, we're seeing, a, a, just like the head coaching search, we're seeing a wide net being cast. Mm-hmm. And that includes the offensive coordinator search. I'm sure that they've interviewed other people for position coaches, uh, position spots, and also a defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator. Uh, it just hasn't been publicized, but you can tell that they're, they're not just zeroed in other than McDonald. I think that was their, their primary, but they're not zeroed in on just got to have this person, got to have that person. It's we're, we're, we're open to everything so that we have a wide range of ideas and a general, um, general guidelines as to who fits our criteria. Let's talk about Ryan Grubb some more, because obviously that was the biggest concern when you hire a defensive head coach, you know, now you got to find a guy to run the offense and, and do it effectively and, and make it dynamic and use all those weapons we have. 
get the most out of the quarterback situation, which we will talk about in a minute. Uh, but also, you know, the concern that by hiring a defensive coach, that if you have a, if you hire a good coordinator that, you know, a couple years down the road, he's going to be in demand and, and get a head coaching gig. Grub, you mentioned it, never coached a day in the NFL from, from everything you've seen in how he operates an offense and everything you've heard about him. Uh, how much are you concerned about that? My concern would be adapting the chunk of the scheme that relies on the college hash marks over to the pros. Because, I mean, that is a huge, huge barrier. And in, in, in as far as on the defensive side of the ball, it's it's just harder to disguise coverages in college compared to the NFL when the hash marks are 40 yards wide in college and they're like 18, 18 yards wide of the NFL. So the field is more condensed. And I, I am a little bit concerned about that from Grubb's side, but I trust that he can adapt. And I, I really like uh, that he has been an offensive line coach. He's been a run game coordinator. And then as offensive coordinator, he has developed two really high-level passing offenses, both at Washington and with Jake Hayner over at Fresno State. Yeah. So he, he, and he values explosive plays, which I think is not just exclusively a Pete Carroll philosophy. I think John Schneider is absolutely a fan of explosive plays and attacking teams deep down the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know that Grubb also values the run game. He might have had a high pass rate and a high rate of, of deep passing it, with Washington, but... We also saw that there were times when the Huskies passing game wasn't necessarily clicking. So they just pounded the running game with Dylan Johnson and he, he has a physical offensive line. And I think that's what Seattle is, is hoping for is that if they can get a more consistent and more consistently reliable running game going, that is really going to change and, and open up the playbook as far as their willingness to attack down the field. Because I, I felt like last year and in even in some parts of the Walgren era in 2021 and 2022, when the running game sort of stalled out, things, it, it, they basically didn't really have much of an identity. And I know it sounds yeah. cliche, but they, they just couldn't figure out who they actually were. Are, are we a power running team? Are we a team that wants to sling it down the field? Are we a quick passing team? What are we? I think Grubb is going to have some growing pains being a first-time NFL offense coordinator and play caller. But his philosophies, I think, can translate to the pro game, especially the play-action stuff. And you don't need a great running game to have a great play action passing game. But we know that Geno Smith and we're assuming for now that Geno is going to be the quarterback in September. But even if he isn't, whichever quarterback is starting for Seattle, I think that basing things off of play action is going to be of paramount importance to this offense. Because when you look at the receiving core and you got DK and Lockett and Smith and Jigba and you could add more to, to the roster over free agency in the draft, those are high efficiency play action targets you're looking at. And I think Grubb yeah. is going to be really excited to see what he can do with, with, with the weapons that he has at his disposal in Seattle, because the, the concern of course, when you go from college to the NFL is, Oh yeah, but you have NFL caliber receivers and, and talent and, at, at a collegiate level. Well, guess what? He's got NFL caliber receivers in the NFL. Yeah. And he was really excited about those guys. He talked about it yesterday. He mentioned play action, you know, Gino's numbers uh, on play action passes last year, I think we're top five in the league. He's Mm -hmm. he's been shown to be outstanding in those situations, even without a consistent running game there. Um, I like what he said about that. His scheme is personnel based um, because that's, that was honestly my biggest complaint about Waldron. I thought at times he showed uh, he showed, you know, talent as a play designer or play caller, but there were, it just didn't feel like he got the most out of his talent. Um, 
And, and the good offensive coordinators do every game. They find a way to involve their guys on a consistent basis. And he mentioned it yesterday. He said, look, the reason we were so wide open at, at UW is because we had those receivers. I mean, we had Dylan Johnson and there were times, as you said, we leaned on that, that USC game where he went for over 300 yards, four touchdowns and because it, it just wasn't working, but he had those receivers. Is Gino going to be the guy throwing it to him if you had to put a percentage on it today? And I know everybody wants to talk about how he could still be traded by March 18th, and that could happen. I talked on the show this week about potential fits, and there are some teams that that have the resources and might have a need for a guy like Gino. But if you had to put a percentage on it, uh, him starting opening day this year, what would you think it would be? I put it at around 80 to 20 so 80% that he will be the starter. If there is a good deal, something that involves a second round pick, he's not going for two first round picks as I joked about the other day. He's not going to the Denver Broncos for two more firsts. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Denver will hang up the phone anytime John Schneider comes calling. But if, if there's a deal that's too good to pass up, then I think they will just trade Gino away, which I wouldn't want to do just sentimentally because I think he's been a great story and that he, he was better than his stats showed last season. It's just that there were a lot of circumstances beyond his control that impacted his numbers. And also there, there were some struggles that he genuinely had, but I think he, he overcame them as the season progressed, particularly after he came back from injury. But I would think that he would be the QB one. That doesn't mean that Seattle doesn't draft a quarterback and they, nor that yeah, they shouldn't draft right. a quarterback. They absolutely should take a quarterback because where I will push back was with, with some of my uh, good, good colleagues on, on Seahawks Twitter, Gino is 34 without a lot of, tread on those tires because he hasn't played a ton of games, but 34 is also still 34. And the number of quarterbacks who are still effective at 37, 38 years old, whether they've got a lot of mileage or not, is still very, very small. So I do think that Schneider will be looking at the quarterback market uh, in, in the draft. And to, to me, I look at Schneider's background in Green Bay. Right. And yep. they let Rodgers sit behind Favre and they let Jordan Love sit behind Rodgers and so far so good with, with of course it worked out pretty well with Rodgers they got a Super Bowl out of it and Jordan Love just tore it up he looked like a completely different quarterback the second half of the season and we think about the hypotheticals of him looking at Mahomes and Josh Allen right and he's straight up said that they had considered taking Andy Dalton back in 2011 none of them would have been a day one starter for one 2011 they had Tavares Jackson I think they had signed him by then um, and even if they didn't, I, I don't think that Schneider had, had even explicitly said Dalton would just be a day one starter in Seattle. And then Russell Wilson was still on the team when they were looking at Mahomes and Allen. Yeah. And we certainly know all the in his prime. The, yeah. Uh, yes. All, all the backstory there. So if they draft a quarterback, I believe that if, if it's somebody that they truly believe can be a starter, they will sit behind Gino for at least a season. Um, but the, the, the one wild card here is what they do with Drew Locke. Yeah, they keep talking I, about him. I would be really surprised if Locke is QB1 in September. I'd be really surprised at that. And that would, to, to me, reinforce the idea that, that Schneider really is um, high on Drew Locke. And he, he said that they had considered drafting him a couple of years ago. I think that was from the, the press conference after they had traded Russell away. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose there's nothing stopping them from keeping Geno and Locke and drafting a quarterback. They sure the talk like they're running. going to. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's odd. Yeah, and, and what you would do is that Locke's the one whose roster spot wouldn't be guaranteed come preseason. Right. If it's Geno, Locke, and a rookie quarterback, and Locke is on a pretty cheap deal where it doesn't cost a lot to cut him or you could trade him, 
Um, you could have that rookie quarterback be in competition with Locke. Heck, he, he could be in competition with both of them, with both Geno and Locke, depending on how things go. So um, I, I think that they will keep Geno unless there is a deal that is too good to pass up. But they're, they're always in on everything, and they're always looking at, hey, if there's an offer that's, that a team is coming to, uh, that is proposed to us, we'll consider it, and then we'll make a decision from there. And they'll do it with just about any player. So Gino is, is, is no different, especially with the lack of a second-round pick, which is unfortunately yeah. Schneider and, and Carroll's own doing with the Leonard Williams trade. Yeah. And when it comes to Gino, that's that's why, the, you know, today wasn't really the deadline. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's March 18th. It's the beginning of the new league year. It's, you know, the Combine's coming up in two weeks. That's when a lot of these discussions are begun or had, um, you know, late at night in, in back rooms of restaurants and bars and hotels and things like that. Um, and, and a lot of these deals are ultimately put together. Um, so we, you know, we're going to have to deal with this discussion for another month. If, if Gino's still on the roster March 18th, then he's probably the guy moving forward. What is it? I can't, you know, Corbin Smith and I were joking about this the other day. We can't, you know, post a story or do a, do a podcast about the Seahawks linebacker core without someone jumping in and saying, yeah, but what about Gino? He sucks. They need to get rid of him or none of this is going to work. I'm sure you get that too in your, in your message boards and everything else on the website. Where do you think that comes from? Why is it that so much of the fan base is absolutely anti Geno Smith? I, I think we, Bill Parcells had a quote about that. I'm, I'm probably going to butcher, but, mm-hmm. but the general idea is you don't always have to look at somebody and how they used to be and just ascribe that to them forever. Yeah. I think because of his struggles and, and just outright bad play with the Jets and that he just out of nowhere is suddenly a starting caliber quarterback, people cannot get themselves past, well, this is how he looked at the Jets. This this is how he ended up not being a starting quarterback for so many years until he came to Seattle. And um, also, it's a tough act to, to succeed Russell Wilson. I know there's some significant animosity towards Russ now and especially some enjoyment watching how the Denver thing has panned out, but he's still the best quarterback in franchise history. He's one of the best athletes in the history of Seattle sports. Mm -hmm. So whoever was going to succeed Russell Wilson was always going to be put under a significant microscope. And I think we tend to look at Gino too much through the prism of Wilson, or at least the best years of Wilson. Mm -hmm. And nobody should ever say that Gino is better than, than Wilson has ever been because that's silly. Wilson is a borderline hall of fame caliber player at his absolute best years. And Gino wasn't quite at that level, but Gino he, he just divides opinion so much. And I think part of it is because of Locke also being on the roster and that Locke is mm. the younger player. Yeah. He's got the, he, he's got the, the, the big arm, but does he process the game the same way as Gino? Is he accurate with his big arm? Because that is my, my big sticking point with the whole, well, Locke's arm talent is amazing. Yes. He, he can throw, he can throw the ball probably 70 yards down the field. And I think his arm strength is better than Gino's. But over the years, he's been a very inaccurate deep passer, which makes yeah. that Eagles drive all the more incredible. But still, um, there are reasons that Gino was a starter over Locke. And they've also the idea that you know, Locke can, can use his legs more. He hardly ran in college. He hardly runs right. in the pros. Right. Gino is, is, is a more traditional pocket passer. He's not super mobile, but we can see him scramble. So it, the, the divisiveness of the fan base is sort of disappointing, but that is probably part of the natural come down from we had 10 years of uninterrupted great quarterback play to now we're going another tier below and a tier below might as well feel like not, not a good quarterback whatsoever. And that's to me unfair to Gino. I won't paint Gino as somebody who is going to be like a, a, 
guaranteed MVP candidate or anything like that, but it can absolutely be somebody that you can win playoff games with. And I mean, just we just had Jared Goff almost make the Super Bowl for a second time, and that dude gets yeah. ragged on all the time. So it, the 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 success of Patrick Mahomes and and other similarly top level quarterbacks has sort of warped our viewpoints as far as the quarterback position. Like, oh, if you don't have Mahomes and you have no chance. No, that's not necessarily true. If you have a really good quarterback, which I think Gino is, but you also have the great pieces around him, right? then you can compete with absolutely anybody. And we should know that because Matt Hasselbeck in 2005, really good quarterback. He had the MVP running back. He had the best offensive line in the league. He had a pretty good defense and they made the Super Bowl. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's a little bit harder for teams to do that now, especially with the way that the rule changes and everything kind of gravitate towards having in the, the haves and have nots at quarterback, but it's also not impossible. I, I'd rather we not have everybody trying to chase the exact same thing, the exact same model of team building, um, because many teams are just going to end up completely falling flat on their face, chasing something that's really, really hard to attain. I hope anyone watching this uh, who, who doesn't like Geno Smith listens to what you just said, because as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about this stuff in my head too. And you named all the names I was thinking about, you know, Russell during his 10 year run here uh, was an elite quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but every single week would do things that would drive us crazy, make horrible mistakes, miss guys that are open, make terrible decisions, but fans were willing to give him a pass because of the big picture and because of what he did kind of his, his whole um, you know, everything that he did on a weekly, weekly basis with Gino, he makes one or two mistakes and, and that's all they can focus on. Hasselbeck, another great example. His career didn't start out great here at all. He got benched for Trent Dilfer, you know, had to kind of come back from that. And yet, you know, by the end of his career, he was pretty much beloved by most of the fan base. You touched on Jared Goff. He was viewed certainly by the Rams as a bust, basically as the first pick overall in the draft and a throw in and kind of a creative trade and just a way to shed some salary. He goes to Detroit and completely changes his profile. And people seem to have come around to that now and accepted Jared Goff as one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I I just, I don't know what the sticking point is. I've had people literally tell me in the last couple of days, multiple people, you know, want to make a laundry list of all the bad games Gino had last year that they want to use as an, as an example of how bad he is. And many of them, many of them mentioned the Pittsburgh game. I'm like, what were you watching? He was one of the only reasons we had a chance to win that game. He did some of his, some of his best work, avoiding, avoiding the rush, moving around the pocket, making big time throws down the field. I, I don't get it, but whether or not he is the quarterback coming up, uh, this fall, um, the direction of the rest of the roster, right? And we're not going to get into that position group by position group. Um, there's certainly not enough time for that. But as the draft approaches, they don't have the second round pick. You mentioned that. There's a lot of talk about quarterback or not quarterback at 16 or somewhere else in the first round. And if you do that, then you have to wait till the third to address the rest of your roster. If you're the GM of the, of the team today, from what you know today about anything you may have looked at heading into the draft or just positional needs that you value, what would you like to see him do with that first pick in the draft? It sounds cliche, but please keep addressing the trenches. And, and that offensive line, defensive line, it doesn't matter. Offensive line has got to be very interesting because of Abe Lucas, actually. Because I know that. Yeah, we don't Lewis know. Is, I mean, Lewis is a free agent at left guard. 
And then if Phil Haynes goes, then whatever. Anthony Bradford probably would start, and I would still just draft another guard for, for death's sake. And then even at center, Evan Brown, do you re-sign him or do you let Oluwatimi become the starter? But Abe Lucas, I think, is the X factor because I believe he had another procedure or something like that, or at least that was suggested on a it's social It's a mystery, media. yeah. But the mystery concerning his knee and the fact that he came back and then suddenly he, he ended up having, he just couldn't go towards the end of the Pittsburgh game and he misses the last game of the season. So you hope that it's not some sort of degenerative condition where it, right. it's only a matter of time before he's either a shell of himself or he just medically can't play anymore. Yeah. Uh, they might have to look at tackle yet again. And that would be a, a real disappointment because it looked like we had two cornerstone tackles and one of them was a third round pick. Uh, but I, I just look at the, the last four teams in, in this year's postseason and Funnily enough, it's the 49ers offensive line that was that looked the worst. Yeah. But they also have a future Hall of Famer in Trent Williams. But Baltimore's offensive line, very impressive. We know Kansas City and Creed Humphrey, who Seattle could have absolutely oh. grabbed. But you still you still had Trey Smith at right guard. And yeah. and, and of course they, they made the big splash signing for, for Joe Thune. Jawan Taylor, probably still a, a miracle that he didn't get penalized at all in the Super Bowl, but still. Uh, they haven't made every great move there, but the players that they have drafted and not signed, they've been pretty successful. And then Detroit, we already know you got Decker and Ragnow and, and Penay Sewell and, and, and Jonah Jackson, high quality offensive line. So I think that they're going to have to keep investing there. And they, of course, they've invested over the years. They just invested poorly. Right. It's no bad investment or investments can, can be good or bad. And we've seen the Luke Jokels and Jamarcus Webbs, some of the just rotten free agent signings that they've made over the years. And then just some bad draft picks like Riso Diambo for just for starters. And then Jermaine Ofedi, not as bad as made out to be, but also really not good enough to be a long-term starter. Right. So that's just on the offensive side of the ball. On, on the defensive line, um, they could use another pass rusher. And I think the depth got exposed big time when Nwosu went down because suddenly it went to Boye Mafe shoulders and Mafe could only do so much before teams just started double teaming and game planning and straight out of the game. Yeah. And when the opposite rusher outside of Mafe is Daryl Taylor, who I don't think that should they should resign. They shouldn't tender him at all. Yeah. And then you get to the Frank, the limited Frank Clark experience, the, the, the <laughs> unwanted reunion. They, they just didn't have a lot there. And that includes Derek Hall. Right. So they they look for another edge rusher. I, I think that would be really, really beneficial. Because one thing that we've seen in Baltimore with McDonald is they have so much pass rushing depth. And it wasn't necessarily with absolutely top-line, high-priced draft picks. It's guys who have been around the league for a while. Kyle Van Noy was on the practice squad. Yeah. And then suddenly had one of the best seasons of his career. Jadavion Clowney almost got double-digit sacks for the first time ever. Um, and who knows if he'll just and reunite he's a with free agent. Seattle. He, yeah. he is a free agent. And this is the healthiest we've ever seen him as right. well. And, and then you've got uh, Matt Abike on the interior. Um, Brent Urban as, as an interior run stuffer as well. So I, I think they're going to look at, at the trenches uh, with pick 16 specifically, because I think we know that's the, the big question mark on this roster um, in terms of the absolute need because of lack of depth of the position has got to be inside linebacker, off ball linebacker, right. because both of your starters are free agents and one of them is just not what it used to be. So we don't want to go into the off season figuring out Mike McDonald is had went from Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to question mark, question mark, and question mark, question mark. Right. But Patrick Queen is a free agent. So that also is worth uh, worth thinking about for a bit. 
Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. I, I talked about it recently, but you know, for fans who don't remember, Patrick Queen was drafted one pick behind Jordan Brooks, and it came out after the draft because Brooks was seen by many as a reach at that point, mm-hmm. just because he was kind yeah. of an unknown name. He wasn't really viewed as a consensus first rounder. And then it came out later that the Ravens favored Brooks too. had him higher on their board would have taken him if he was there uh, with that pick and settled for Patrick Queen. So it uh, would be interesting to know now if given the choice between the two who Mike McDonald might uh, prefer. I'm with you. I, I certainly inside linebacker is not something you're going to take in the first round. The positional value just isn't there. But this year's draft, from what I've seen so far, is much, much deeper at that position than last year. Last year, the, the linebacker group was a lot of guys that were 215 to 220, more weak side linebacker guys, nickel robber types, but a lot more in that more traditional mold of the the bigger, more physical inside linebackers that can shed block 6'2", 230, 235, 240 uh, that they can dip into. If, if I'm drafting today... I would just remind people that Seahawks pick 16th, as it were right now, Steve Hutchinson was drafted with the 17th pick. And to me, I'm taking, uh, if the right defensive tackle there is there, certainly a guy like Jerzon Newton, or maybe even a Byron Murphy, but I'm with you. They got to fix that offensive line. And and it all kind of ties back into the, the QB discussion that for those that don't think that Gino was consistent enough or good enough, I'd sure like to see what he what he does with more drives, more plays, because the defense can get off the field and with a better running game. So I'm going offensive line, but uh, you know I could I reserve the right to change my mind a lot over the next two months, <laughs> as I often do. Uh, Mookie, man, it's been great to catch up with you again. Um, what do you got going on the website coming up? Well, uh, we've got the NFL combine coverage to do over the next couple of weeks. The underwear Olympics are back, ladies and gentlemen, in, in Indianapolis. <laughs> I can't get enough of them, though. I got to watch every minute of them. I, I, well, of, I admit. Course, we, we, of course, we reserve the right to change our minds because people are, are going to have their stock rise. They're going to have their stock fall. Yeah. And there are hand, only a handful of players we know are going to be slammed on first round picks, whether they even do the combine or not. But there are others who could go from the first round to the third round or from fourth round grade up to the first or second round. Um and especially not just what they do with the combine, but also medicals. Yeah. What do you do? Is Michael Penix Jr. going to be a CR just because Ryan Grubb is the offensive coordinator? Nope. I mean, that'd be the worst giveaway in, in the history of, of, of drafting. That's oh, okay. We're, we're not even hiding stuff anymore. The Pete Carroll draft clues really are a thing of the past. Right. The John Schneider draft clues are, here's what we're doing. But if his medicals come out as concerning, then you don't know if he's going to be even a second round pick and he could come down to Seattle as a third rounder. Well, we'll, find out all that's pretty soon, but we're going to be doing quite a bit on, on free agency previews, draft previews, all that good stuff, because most of the coaching staff is pretty much figured out at this point. We only got a few more positional uh, coaches and the strength and conditioning to deal with, but free agency going to be absolutely huge to see what they do with, with Brooks and Lewis and Noah Fant and a couple of others who have been starters or have significant snaps. And then of course, uh, we'll be looking at roster cuts, whether Quandre Diggs is a cap, uh, cap, potential cap casualty, what they do with Jamal Adams. Um, we assume that Brian Monday is not going to be on the team anymore, but a lot of salary cap stuff so that people can calm down a bit about the cap situation because what the number is now is not what the Seahawks are going to be dealing with in a couple of months. There will right. be ways to restructure. There will, there will be ways to fiddle around and open up more space for this season and with seasons to come with the decisions they make. They are not in cap hell, so hopefully people can – Calm down over that and also stop freaking about Geno Smith earning potentially, what, 20-some-odd million dollars against right. the cap. That is not top 10 quarterback money. Right. So yeah. he's not making Daniel Jones money, and he's not Daniel Jones bad. 
I think I saw a tweet yesterday from, I think it might've been ESPN analytics that, uh, Gino's av- average annual value is 16th among quarterbacks and his QBR last year was 16. So they nailed it on the value with that one, right? Yes. <laughs> we know he can be better than 16th. And if the offensive line can be better, a better blocking unit than 28th or 29th, then we're, we're, we're really cooking with something here. But it feels like we've also been saying that about the offensive line ever since Steve Hutchinson left. Yeah. So this is the Hutchinson curse as far as I am concerned. Right. <laughs> you might be the right. Contract curse. It's fieldgoals.com. See what they did there? G-U-L-L-S.com. Mookie Alexander, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Probably could have talked uh, twice as long about a lot of other things. Uh, But instead, we'll be doing that over the next month or so. Coming up on the show, um, Maddie Brown of the Seattle Overload podcast has agreed to come on with me on Monday. Um, can't wait to get his thoughts on everything that's been going on here in Seattle. Always love his X and O expertise uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, we talked to Griffin Sturgeon, his co-host, um, recently, uh, mostly about defense. I'm going to really pick Maddie's brain about Ryan Grubb and his offense and how he thinks it's going to translate to the league. So that'll be coming up as well. And uh, I'll unveil a new mock draft next week as well. I'm working on a uh, uh, non-QB mock draft so that, uh, you know, nobody will be mad, but also just to take a look at the possibility that they might just be trying to stock this roster as much as possible for one more offseason, roll with the QBs they have, and address that position again next year. So... We'll take a look at that. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. Thank you uh, again for all of your support until next time forever and always go Hawks. Hawks.